0: Welcome to another episode of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we have an interesting story for you today. I wanted to say doozy. Like I said, I think I've been overusing it and I did not think of a good word in advance. <laughs>
1: I feel like most of the cases, if not all of the cases, are doozies though. So I feel like it's just the necessary word to use.
0: I also agree with this <laughs> statement. So, but I didn't know if I'm like being biased because I'm the one that says it every week.
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe the listeners should uh, let us know what they think. Also, I start recommending words again. Maybe maybe that'll help us. <laughs>
0: I literally I went to go look it up and it's <laughs> a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> <And> it's like <laughs> okay,
1: doozy well, of a day.
0: A humdinger.
1: A humdinger. Yes, that's a good one. That's a good one.
0: Um. Well, I don't have anything super out there I guess or anything to share in the beginning uh do you have
1: anything before we get started I mean yes but like nothing that needs to get shared on this episode because I'll just rant for four hours about nothing (laughs) about all the current (laughs) events taking place in today's day and age that are really stressing me out to the point that I think I got two hours (laughs) of sleep last night Okay,
0: everyone, so there are two major (laughs) current events going on right now um, that have been really taking control of Sydney's life. Do you want to share what the first one is?
1: (laughs) The Vicky White and Casey White situation. Yes. (laughs) The situation, because I don't even know what other words to use on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know... uh, It's been, like, very overwhelming for Sydney to handle. (laughs) It's kind of wild because, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get a lot of the answers. But, like, literally last weekend, Sydney told me, I think I just need to go on leave from work and, like, hunt these people down. And I think I know where they are. They're going to be in the Midwest somewhere. And they were found in the Midwest. So, (laughs) Sydney was right. She should have hunted them down. They were found, what, like, two (sighs) days after you told me that?
1: Yeah. And they so they would have been in the Midwest because they were in the Midwest for like six days or like they were in Evansville for like six days. So they would have been there. Like when I said that, I just had a feeling in my soul.
0: Fun fact, Sydney mapped it out and they were only 10 minute drive from
1: the Willard Library. Yes. I'm really happy that you mentioned that because I actually have that to at some point bring up because that is very significant in my life.
0: Well, I wonder if the ghosts will of uh, of uh, Vicky will end up there. Probably not. If ghosts get to choose where they get to go, I don't know.
1: In my <laughs> head, I was like, "Damn!" Because you know how, like, in the one section of the ghost cams, so you could see like out the window. I was like, "Oh yeah. <laughs> If they drove past, <laughs> it's just like all the lights and it, it would have been chaos, and I would have lost my mind. I'm just casually watching the ghost cams. They probably are in the ghost cam somewhere. Probably
0: drove by at some point, <laughs> yeah. So, that this has like really been consuming Cindy's life. And, like I said, if anyone has been following the correction officer and the uh inmate who she helped escape, she died from a self inflicting gunshot wound when they were captured. Uh, really interesting. Sid, I'm sure you saw this because I'm sure you've read like a 5 million articles, but like he literally said, oh yeah, like the car accident hindered them trying to like die by shootout with law enforcement.
1: Yeah, like that was the goal. That was the plan. It's, oh. Oh.
0: So unfortunately I think a lot of questions that people specifically Sydney, has will not be answered because she is no longer here to answer them. And I don't know if we can really believe every word that this man says.
1: No, I don't <laughs> think that anything that he says is going to be believable now. Or that I'm going to be able to believe it. Because I didn't hear both sides of the story. Yeah. So, that's the first one. The second
0: one... <laughs> the first time you heard about the other on, like ongoing uh, events... Was that when I tagged you in that article
1: or did you already know about it? Is that the other so, one? So, yeah. So, the Lake Mead, the body's getting found in Lake Mead. Um, I had seen something on, like, the one of the crime con or, like, the missing persons pages that I follow on Facebook. But I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, oh, that's weird. And then Peyton tagged me in an article and I was like... Oh, fuck. Here we go. Another rabbit hole, rabbit hole for me to fall down. And that's a hole that I literally can't get out of. Like, part of my body is also in Lake
0: <laughs> Sydney is over here searching, like, missing persons databases, trying to see who would potentially be in the lake.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I literally sent a screenshot to paint yesterday and was like, there's foul play in this. This guy died in 1970, or disappeared in 1971. It has to be him. And nothing implied uh, (laughs) that he would be in this lake.
0: So, summarize what this other current news is going on for those who might not be aware. So, (laughs) I laugh because this is not funny, but due to the drought and climate change or whatever you want to credit it to, Lake Mead, which is the Lake Hoover Dam Lake, uh, is reaching historic lows. In fact, uh, they say the bathtub levels, so, like, you know, the, like, marking <laughs> where the water sits is, like, just genuine, like, generally sinking and sinking. It's getting lower and lower. And so because of this, there is a lot more surfaces and a lot of things that are being found on new shorebanks, on new sand dunes <laughs> in the water, including... A barrel with a a rotting, decomposing body in it, which, in case anyone was unaware of, bodies thrown in in barrels (laughs) in the bottom of lakes are, like, a signature of organized crime, specifically in the Las Vegas area. So, could potentially be linked to, like, old Las Vegas. I also saw they found human remains in a sand dune, Uh, Mm -hmm. like new sand dunes. So everyone is basically saying, like, professors, the former mayor, like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, there's going to be a lot more bodies as the water levels keep lowering and, like, the new beaches and and everything keep getting explored. So it shall be very interesting (laughs) what they find. And if they can identify any of those people.
1: That's what I want to know if they're going to be able to identify them. I guess that's, I don't know. It's all very intriguing. And it sucks that these two things need to happen like within weeks of each other because now I can't sleep at night. You're very consumed by both of these items. (laughs) Yeah. And like for the amount of times that I like Google search it, like half the time there's nothing new even updated because I'm Google searching it that often. So it's like, I already read that article two hours ago. I need something new.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Sydney told me the other day, she, I think it was yesterday, you said you just read the same 10 articles put in, like, 500 different ways.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because it's just, like, the same articles over and over again. It's just, like, they change a couple phrases so they're not, like repeating each other yeah (laughs) Yeah, but it's like all these different newspapers and I'm like I already read this and then anytime I see something new I like send it to you and I'm like oh my god look at this it's like one word changed I feel like (laughs) which probably isn't even true but like it's one word changed It's, it's something new I'm sure we'll be like closely
0: following this Lake Mead investigation and if anyone is identified we'll definitely be updating everyone on social media because it's like pretty fucking wild, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is this is huge for sure.
0: I mean, these are cold cases that could be like missing persons from like sixty,
1: seventy years ago. Yeah, and, and they I mean,
0: are having getting answers to
1: the body they've found for the one they said it had like apparel or clothing from like the seventies or eighties. Yeah, so that would be wild if they're able to come to a conclusion. Yeah,
0: so I guess we shall see. All
1: right, enough of me ranting. I could literally probably have a whole podcast episode of just (laughs) telling people all the facts that they probably don't care to know.
0: Now you guys got a little peek into our text conversations.
1: (laughs) Just, oh my God, look at this. Read this. Did you see this? Oh my God.
0: (laughs) Well... Kind of segueing off of this, we we're talking about old cases being solved. Uh, before we kind of dive into this case, I do want to say, like, important disclaimer. Uh, there's a lot of conflicting information on this story we're about to cover. It is, you know, 72 years old now. And a lot of the timestamps that I'm going to go over are kind of conflicting I tried to make it as accurate as possible, but honestly, like, I could find two articles saying one time, another article saying completely different, and then another one saying completely different. So I tried to go with, like, the two matching times I could find, basically. (laughs) So if you go through our sources and you're like, "What the hell, these timestamps aren't right. Uh, Very sorry. Trying to do my best here. Know that the times might not be 100% accurate. But they're good guesstimates, and when they are very important, I will tell you. (laughs) So, I guess I will just dive right into it. We have all heard the stories of planes crashing or something horrific happening, which causes many people to have the fear of flying. Statistically, though, flying is safer than driving a car. Unfortunately for those on Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 2501, their worst fear would come true. More than 70 years later, more questions than answers remain, and today we will tell you their story. So the Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 2501 was a DC-4 prop liner plane. Basically, (laughs) because I tried to read a lot about this plane and like the make and model and what it is, Uh, It was basically before the jet age of planes. It was a propeller-driven airplane with a piston engine. And these planes are retired now, and they're considered smaller ones. They were primarily used for military use at first and then repurposed for commercial airplanes. In this instance, Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 2501 was a commercial flight. Honestly, I'm just going to move forward saying flight two five zero one because it's a a mouthful. (laughs) And so that way we don't get confused. (laughs) On the night in question of the events, this is June 23rd, 1950. Flight two five zero one was making its usual flight route from New York City to Seattle. There was a layover on their trip, which was in the St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota airport before ending the night in Seattle. This particular evening, the plane left LaGuardia Airport at approximately 9.49 PM, and a little over two hours later, no one would hear from them again. Some reports do say it's earlier, and it could have been. 9.49 sounds accurate for like, this day and age for a flight. But I think it obviously didn't move as fast back then, so it might have been earlier. Roughly around 1049 p.m., Flight 2501 hit the Cleveland area and passed over Cleveland. The flight control there approved the flight to drop down to 4,000 feet. Now, at the time, the original flight path said it was supposed to be flying at 6,000 feet or flying up at 6,000 feet. So they had dropped down to 4,000 feet and roughly 40 minutes later, flight 2501 was instructed again by flight control to drop down to 3,500 feet to avoid an incoming flight that was experiencing rough turbulence from the storm that they were headed towards. This flight carrying 55 passengers and three crew crew members, which was their captain, co-pilot, And one stewardess was roughly 3,500 miles up over Battle Creek, Michigan, around 1150 p.m., when supposedly the pilot radioed in to inform flight control that they should be arriving past Milwaukee in about 46 minutes time. This is important. This kind of gives like sets the scene about how long they're estimating based off of where they're going and how they're getting there and the weather at that time. Around 12.13 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, just over Benton Harbor, Michigan, which is like right on the coast by Lake Michigan. The pilot had requested a descent down to 2,500 feet because of a severe electrical storm, which was hitting the lake with high velocity winds. His request was denied due to traffic in the area. The plane would not be in contact with traffic control again after this, and when it reached past midnight central time, and they still did not get in contact with Milwaukee flight control, there was cause for major concern. No one would be able to get in contact with the plane, and it was nowhere to be found. By 5.30 a.m., The flight was presumed lost, and that is when the search basically really kicked off at that point. They had never landed in their St. Paul, Minneapolis stop, and this was, like, a serious concern. They were supposedly witnesses to the plane's crash or drop down. Uh, I actually saw two claims that they saw, like, a flash of light. Someone supposedly claimed, like, they could hear, like, engine engine sputtering noises, um, but I'm not really quite sure how to elaborate on those. Uh, one of the witnesses was never really, like, severely questioned, <laughs> and uh, when that information was found out from, like, a news article, it was, like, way past that time, so... I just wanted to mention it here, but the plane would never emerge from that storm, obviously, never make it to its destination. And a huge investigation and search really kicked off. Like I said, immediate search was launched. They were using sonar to try to find the plane. And not only did this involve state police from Michigan, but the surrounding states as well. Also, the U.S. Navy and U.S. Coast Guards were searching at this point in, in the lake. The bottom of Lake Michigan was dragged in several areas where they thought potentially the plane could have gone down and nothing was found from these drags at the bottom of the water. There was quite a bit of light debris, upholstery, and even human body pieces found floating on the lake. But divers were ever never able to locate the plane crash. It's reported by one of the Coast Guard captains that the debris floating up and washing ashore was never larger than a hand. And there were small amounts of human remains and parts of the plane, including, I saw, ears, hands, various clothes and, like, pieces of luggage. They even found one person's wallet and another person's passport. Um, so, they were able to confirm that, obviously, the plane went down in the water. So, the search also did locate an oil slick on the water, which would indicate that something obviously was awfully wrong and that plane went down. Interesting to note that in one of the articles I found, it said that this oil slick was actually closer to the Milwaukee side on Lake Michigan, Uh but that's opposite of all the debris. So I'm unsure if that's accurate, but it sounded like they were originally looking closer to Wisconsin. And then all the debris started washing ashore about 48 hours after the plane went missing. The debris was washing ashore on Michigan side, specifically like Benton Harbor, St. John's area. So they were on the coast. So, the official search by law enforcement was called off after five days without anything major, like, ever really being found. Like I said, debris and human remains were still washing ashore occasionally. I read that several beaches along Lake Michigan and Michigan's coast were shut down for two weeks plus. Yes. To make sure
1: no one was stumbling
0: across that. I'm guessing you saw that
1: too. <laughs> yes, I'm happy you sh- you shared that part because um I read it for one beach in particular, um South Beach in South Haven. It was closed for 9 days because there was a number of body parts that kept coming ashore, and then they ended up opening it back up like right before the 4th of July because they were expecting like a high number of people, but it was like questionable if they should even open it.
0: Yeah, which is like, I'm sure very traumatic to anyone who found body pieces. So,
1: especially if it's like, I feel like it almost might be. I mean, I've never found a body part or found a body. So, just want to throw that out there. (laughs) But I feel like it almost might be a little bit more freaky to find just like an ear or like a hand, like if it's not intact with like the rest of the body. Like, I'm not saying it's better to find a full body, but I feel like it might be a little bit freakier, at, like, if there's pieces missing, or you're just finding pieces of it.
0: I don't know. I'm curious now what, what might be more traumatic.
1: I guess I don't really want to find out
0: either way, but... Same, actually. <laughs> we'll, we'll move on from that. Um. I will say at this point in time, obviously, it's presumed the flight went down and there were no survivors. No one was ever, no survivor was ever found. So that happened in, in 1950. Uh, there was an annual search conducted by Michigan Shipwreck Research Research Associates or the MSRA, which is what I'll call them moving forward. They're a nonprofit organization. They obviously dive down and search for shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. Uh, for anyone who's not around the Great Lakes and might not be aware of it, there are a shit ton of shipwrecks over here. So uh, in like Lake Superior, for example, there's literally tours you can go on where you're, like, in glass-bottom ships to look at shipwrecks that can't be brought up at this point. Uh, (laughs) You know, what was it? The Edmonton was, like, this famous ship that went down. So, there are quite a bit (laughs) that have gone down in the Great Lakes, uh, which I'll actually touch on, again, in my fun facts. (laughs) So, I got some fun facts for us. Uh, But, anyways, this shipwreck organization started actually the, these annual searches for the plane in 2004. Originally it was joined com- like combined forces with this explorer, Clive Custler. I think that's the same, that's what it looks like. That's my guess. <laughs> so mind you, 2004, that's 54 years later. So fun fact, I actually saw that it's the time of year where they would be doing searches again. They conduct searches for flight two five zero one May through June. They like put everything on hold and try to search for the flight at at this time. After nine years of these searches, Cussler ended up can't like ending his involvement. But he did continue to send his side scan sonar operator back to Michigan for. Years like after to continuously help with this. In September of 2008, so only four years after that happened, that started one of the members of the MSRA investigating the crash of flight 2501 found an unmarked grave for what they assumed were the entire 58 victims. And it contained quite a bit of the human remains found. The important part about this, again, I mentioned unmarked grave. So these were the body parts that were found floating or washed ashore. They were buried in a cemetery in Michigan that was unmarked without the knowledge of any of the family members of the victims. So that was like kind of a big fucking deal.
1: (laughs) That's a huge deal. That's super bizarre.
0: Very bizarre. So after they found this, they actually held a ceremony with 58 family members in attendance from the victims, and an official gravestone marker was donated and provided in honor of those victims. In 2015, another mass burial grave was found in a different city in Michigan. So, like, fucking wild. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting because this one was found. Someone was doing a genealogy project through the cemetery and, like, in the area, and they ended up finding this unmarked plot. I don't know if it was, like, in the cemetery records or what. So they contacted the MSRA, and they organized another memorial for the 65th anniversary of these victims.
1: So if it was, like, located in or near a cemetery, don't they, like... I mean, unless you're doing shit, like, in the middle of the night, like, I feel like you're gonna have to, like, they're, like, they had to have been aware of it, but you would think that they would, like, ask more questions, almost, like, I guess I'm not
0: super surprised, because I know that there could be unmarked graves, like, that I'm aware of, Yeah, I, but I do think that it might be unmarked Like, it might be an unmarked plot, so if you're walking on the cemetery or driving around, like, you don't see anything there. But on their records, they would obviously have it marked there so that you wouldn't re-dig. You know what I mean?
1: Mm, Okay, so it's, like, it's marked that there's something there.
0: But not out so, like, the public would ever know.
1: Okay. I mean, yeah, that makes... Yeah, no, that does make sense, I guess. I just thought that there was more rules to cemeteries, but...
0: I, I guess there I are but maybe not in
1: 1950. <laughs> yeah well and I guess I think there is now but also I feel like back in the day everything was kind of a free-for-all. <laughs> Agreed because it sounds like I don't know if it was like the
0: city morgues or if it was like the government officials or law enforcement agencies that decided to do this but the victim's families were never made aware and that's like the big emphasis that like Obviously, no one, I mean, there wasn't like DNA testing in 1950 to like be like, oh, that's my father's hand, which sounds really fucked up. But like, you know what I mean? So you could never bury something of your family. But to know that potentially like a piece of your family member was just thrown somewhere in the ground with a bunch of other people's body parts and you were never told, like, that's kind of traumatizing to learn
1: that. Yeah. And I feel like it almost, because I mean, it, There's a cemetery kind of near me um, where they actually have, like, graves or, like, some, you know, stones that say, like, here lies an unknown hand. Like, there is, like, literal, like, there's just a hand. I don't think it's a hand. I think it's, like, a torso is in there. And then there's, like, another bizarre one. I'd have to go there and actually look. I haven't been there in a long time. Is it,
0: like, the city cemetery? Because I think they do that...
1: Um, so it's a really all my knowledge on, on
0: morgues uh, comes from uh, Law and Order uh, or any criminal show. So on Law and Order SVU, they have, like unmarked or like you know Jane Does or whatever.
1: They're yeah. buried in like
0: a almost like a paupers cemetery. Yeah, or, like, yeah, and, that, and
1: that's they, what it is. That's what it is. Maybe it's they like eventually
0: some people eventually like pay for headstones
1: or like markers, really, but like that's it, I think. And so maybe. Because I think for the most part, that cemetery has markers in it. Like, there's probably a handful, like, that you don't know. But there is a decent amount of markers in there. But I don't know if they were, like, donated from, you know, different nonprofits Or, like, that people just wanted to identify these random body parts that are in there. But I know for a fact that there's, like, a handful of just, like, body parts that are listed in there. Okay. Which is... I mean... I guess I can't speak for why mass burials happen, but I feel like, wouldn't it almost be more respectful if you don't know, like, to just do multiples?
0: I mean, I guess?
1: Like, oh, you guys are just all on the same plan together, let's throw you all in the same graves together now, too.
0: But I feel like they definitely should have informed the families.
1: Yeah, or, yeah, like, we think, or this is what we're doing. Yeah.
0: Because there was no, like I said, there's no way at that point in time to, like, DNA test and be like, oh, this is someone's hand. Like, you get, you get this.
1: <laughs> I, I laughed laugh. Like that, Yeah, I don't it don't sound, laugh, like, but... it was
0: really dark and, like, actually really fucked up, and I, but literally not ideal. Like,
1: it comes comes down to, like, I don't actually know if this is your family member's hand, so we're just going to oh, put all the hands together, and then maybe we'll make, like a few full bodies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> I'm actually almost done because I, I didn't, I mean, there are, there are other stuff that we will talk about, but with the information part. So in 2020, actually, so two years ago, The MSRA contacted the National Weather Service out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, who was able to recreate what they called hindcasts. So basically, they took the archived weather from the day of the crash and approximately what the storm above the lake may have looked like and recreated it. Emphasizing this as an estimate, they were very adamant to say this was not exactly translated in the old archived weather, into this new technology, it was just a guess based off of the most likely patterns of what that storm would have looked like. The group also contacted a retired scientist who was a Michigan native and actually spent 37 years with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and this man recreated what the waves and currents of the water would have looked like based off of the weather and wind records. Again, another estimate. But the whole point of these recreations were to get a little closer to the idea of where the plane landed or could have potentially gone in underwater and possibly how the currents traveled. The traveled for the debris to pinpoint its location. So basically, I thought this was really interesting. I think I saw this on your sources too. I don't know if you like deep, dove into, like, this article said, but basically <laughs> this guy pinpointed exactly where, like, records show certain debris was, like, picked up or where it was washed ashore and recreated the patterns for those last few days and where it would have traveled from or the direction and how yes. far it would have gone, which I thought was fascinating.
1: Yes, I so I did... I did read into that a little bit because I was super intrigued, like, that that's even, even if it's, like, just a, a, this is a possibility of, like, how this happened. Like, it's super intriguing because how else would anyone find out about it? Yeah. Like, just to have some sort of insight into what may have led to that is pretty insane.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, they tried to use this to, like, pinpoint... Potentially, like, a better area of where the debris came from, where the plane would have gone in the water from. And then they sent, you know, the next couple summers, 2020 and I think 2021, trying to, like, search for this plane in those narrowed areas. Unfortunately, to this day, the plane wreckage has never been located on or in the lake. And due to this, the reason for the crash has never truly been determined. Without the plane, there are no real answers on why or how the plane went down. I do have, like, a lot of random fun facts, and this is kind of more of, like, my discussion points moving forward. But were there any facts you wanted to add, Sid, before I, like, jump into that stuff? (laughs)
1: No, not really. I think jump into your stuff. And then I'm sure because I think more of what I have is like discussion points. So okay, cool. say whatever you have to say, and then I'll chime in or add at the end if you don't mention a couple things.
0: So first and foremost, um, why the hell did this plane go down? That's like a good question. Uh, I found myself down a reddit rabbit hole uh <laughs> which does have, you know, theories about this flight. And Ooh. so one big theory by a lot of people is lightning in an electrical storm in 1950. Obviously planes this day like fun fact, this took me down another learning about lightning and the technology in planes. <laughs> uh So, commercial airlines, on average, are each commercial airline is struck by lightning at least once a year. Statistics show. Nowadays. So, very common. Yes. In case you're wondering, very common. What the fuck? (laughs) I don't know if I'm ever going to take a plane anywhere again. Also, don't know if you know this. uh, So, this is something I have learned because my boyfriend travels for work. He is on cargo planes all the time. And so, <laughs> obviously, lightning getting struck from light- by lightning isn't gonna ground you. Like you'll keep going on your flight unless yeah. something horrible happens, but <laughs> you have to emergency land. But it's very rare. Uh, most most of the technology nowadays, or all of the technology nowadays, is like basically equipped to handle a lightning strike. So there will no be like be like no malfunction. Uh, but anyways. If you are hit by a bird (laughs) anywhere on your plane, you are automatically you have to emergency land or land at the nearest airport. So lightning won't take you down, but a bird will. What? I have a friend who is a flight attendant who her plane had to recently emergency land at the nearest airport because uh, I think it was like two geese flew into their plane.
1: And they're like a major airline. So how do you, how do you know? Like, I mean, I guess if you're like, obviously in like the. I have no idea. Like where the pilots are, but like, how else? What if like a bird just like flies into the side window? Like, oh my God. like I don't know if they have like sensors or what. They definitely have sensors. I did watch a, a Netflix documentary.
0: Okay. Um, well then you already know more than me.
1: But I didn't so know it has that it, to be if like a bird sensors, hits
0: and they censored. But I didn't think it was. I don't know.
1: That's another that, yeah. rant I don't need to go on right now.
0: <laughs> so it took me down the deep, deep path of trying to figure out when this lightning-proof technology was installed in airplanes or invented. Now, <laughs> Sydney, <laughs> if you had to guess when lightning per- aircraft lightning- protection technology was invented, what What would you guess? Like, give me a rough estimate.
1: Probably 2010.
0: <laughs> no. What?
1: 1752. <laughs> Before the plane was even invented, we had lightning proof.
0: <laughs> Correct. Because like, what? Benjamin
1: Franklin. <laughs> Good God. So,
0: basically, ever since, planes have been, like, a big thing. <laughs> uh they've had some sort of these like lightning rods or lightning protection technology obviously has greatly advanced (laughs) here in 2022 from benjamin franklin invented so please don't get me confused here so anyways this took me down the path of like okay well are there certified guaranteed planes that have crashed in the history due to lightning and the answer is yes, question mark. <laughs> so I guess more of like a maybe. There are planes that have gone down in like the 40s and potentially in the 50s. Uh, as long as I think one of the ones I was looking into was like 63. But they couldn't say for sure that the plane had had gone down because of a lightning strike. So remind everyone. That the Captain, when he radioed in, said it was an electrical storm. That would mean that there was lightning. So this is a huge thought <laughs> that that could happen. There's also a lot of t- lot of thoughts about like, okay, well, the pilot potentially requested to go to, down to twenty five hundred feet, which by the way, is not very high. <laughs>
1: That's what I was gonna say like that's super low like they don't even let you use wi-fi until you're at like 10,000 feet so like yes. <laughs> if this plate is at like 3,500 and trying to get lower that seems super low. And so if they
0: were over the water and the winds okay I can't remember the <laughs> terms that were used. Uh, and I might have to like bear with me, and as I find them, because I didn't actually put these in my notes because it was, it was a lot for m- me to mentally take. It. <laughs> if that makes sense, it's just like it's a lot of information I had never heard of before, and I was very perplexed and very overwhelmed. So one thing is called like wind shear, which is like basically the aircraft wings are producing, like, the lift by moving against the air. And if, like, that trajectory changes without a warning, uh, it could cause the aircraft to, like, stall out and drop drastically in altitude. And if they were already that low, it could have just caused them to crash. Now, that is not a strong theory if there are witnesses that saw that there's a flash of light. I don't have a real answer from that. That makes it seem like it's a lightning strike. There was another witness that said potentially like, you know, noises and like a cr- a crashing sound, but keep it, keep in mind <laughs> crashing into the water at the airplane speed, it's like causing as much damage if you hit concrete. So, like, yeah. you're hitting it at a high intensity speed. Your that water sound is going to travel. Uh, there's another theory. It's called microburst. <laughs> I learned so much. So microbursts are strong downdrafts that can shove an aircraft down hundreds of feet without warning. So. No one even knew they existed in 1950. Apparently, Uh, so it's basically like a sudden, powerful, localized air current, especially a downdraft. And so basically, you know how the air is pushed, and it could have pushed them far down.
1: And you can't, you can't like recover. So that the Netflix documentary I watched, yes, was on some things that they changed, like, in commercial airlines in, like, today's day and age. But one of the things, so I don't think that they mentioned, like, microburst specifically, but, like, the whole thing behind it is, like, when you take off, sometimes, like, the nose dips. And so these sensors that are on there that we have nowadays, the sensors lift the nose back up. So, like, from what you're saying is, like, if they were to go through this microburst, it's going to push the nose down, and they don't have, like, those sensors or, like, Anything like we have now to pull itself back up. Like they have to be able to control that plane. And they were already low. And so there's a lot
0: of theories too that like they were at 3,000, I think, or 3,500 feet, but that a pilot had requested to go lower. They think that the pilot might have said like might have thought like this is life or death. Like I have to go lower to avoid this storm as much as possible. Like I don't have like the clearance like to see. And might have gone lower, and that might have sealed their fate because encountering one of those like shifts in wind and not being able to pull yourself back Mm -hmm. up and being that low could have been disastrous. Um, so I thought it was just really interesting. All these like theories about weather,
1: (laughs) oh, yeah, I think it's interesting too. Like, I mean, it could be just that we know a little bit more, but like, if someone that does not fly or like have a license to fly i don't know much about <laughs> you don't have no flying license at all. to kill <laughs> i do have Sorry. one of those uh, <laughs> but like you would think because i have in my notes like we know that the, the storm was taking place so like you know like when you hit like turbulence or whatever if you're on a plane it's usually the storm's taking place like below you or like the clouds are shifting yeah. like below you, so like you would think that you would want to go above it rather than go further down because do if you're down, think... you're in it. Like I guess I, I I don't know if that's just like
0: I agree, but I also think it's very different nowadays because nowadays we fly like thirty thousand
1: feet, and they they didn't. It's thirty so thousand mo- feet, right? I don't know. <laughs> I just know that they they put the Wi-Fi on at ten. that's what you know that's what I know that's usually when you can start i-messaging again it's high though it's definitely high like that for someone that doesn't know anything about what's going on up in the sky I knew that 3500 was very low and for them to want to go down to 2500 was extremely low like that that's like extremely number, low
0: but that was normal their flight the, flight plan called for 6,000 feet most commercial so planes crazy. nowadays fly between 30,000
1: and 42,000 feet like you would literally I, I'm just imagining this in my head like there's like a highway in the sky like nowadays you don't see like there's there's always planes above your height but you don't always see them like you Correct. see them when you're by like the airports or like this is there was literally always a highway in the sky like there's just I feel like you'd see a every plane that was flying every single day. And, yes. like, you'd probably... And you'd hear like, it! Yeah, and you'd see them, like, above and below each other. If, like, yeah. one's flying at, like, 4,500 and another one's flying at, like, 3,500, like, you're gonna see them. Yeah, so that's really
0: interesting. I don't... I have no idea. I'm sure... I don't want to say, like, this had anything to do with it, but I'm sure just, like... <laughs> advancement in technology that was like a huge push but i also saw like flying higher is like a huge advantage for speed too like you you go Mm -hmm. higher and faster uh i have a very random question have you ever watched the show manifest
1: no it's on my uh it's on my netflix list or whatever it's on netflix isn't it yes it's on my list i i haven't watched it though okay I, well
0: i can't should i watch anything it? yes it's like a it's like a lost
1: show isn't it uh well i never watched was. Oh. <laughs> oh my god stop it right now i know i knew you're about to be so mad when i said that <laughs> that show literally gave me nightmares for weeks I used to like <laughs> skip going to the bar in college just to stay home and watch Lost. Like Maybe for I hours keep it on my list eventually for hours on end. I like I know how it ends. <laughs> Same, but you got to you got to get up to that point. Like I knew how it ended like before I finished it all the way through because I watched like up to like the 3rd season and then I think I watched the last like two episodes, but there's a lot that you need to hit in between. Okay. It'll it'll change your life. Well,
0: damn it. I wanted to talk about Manifest,
1: but sorry.
0: Okay. (laughs) Uh here is a summary of Manifest. I know a little bit like of what like A commercial airliner suddenly reappears after being missing for five years as those aboard reintegrate into society they experience guiding voices and visions of events yet to occur, and soon a deeper mystery unfolds. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm <laughs> I'm going to spoil one thing, and it's not like a huge spoiler because it like happens right away that this is figured out, I guess, kind of. Okay. Uh, their plane flew into an electrical storm, and they think that that is a huge part of like what happened.
1: But Ooh. I'm literally reading
0: I'm doing this research and I'm like, oh my god, this plane went missing and they flew into an electrical storm. Like, oh my god, Ooh.
1: this is this is manifest.
0: So um flight 2501 has never reappeared. <laughs> the people have never reappeared from this flight. They are still all classified as deceased. Uh important to emphasize in case <laughs> we're making manifest uh References here. (laughs) They did not just reappear.
1: That'd be kind of. It's very wild. Now I Uh, feel like I need to go start the show.
0: Highly recommend. Uh, A couple more fun facts. Not fun fact is at the time this was considered the most disastrous in the history of American commercial aviation. This this crash and the disappearance. So. It was big news. Uh, Because it was such big news, I was kind of shocked that the search only lasted five days. Um, Yeah. That's a little backwards. Here's uh, another little tidbit of information. Uh, North Korea invaded South Korea on June 25th. So, two days after the crash. And that was when the Korean War officially launched. So... (laughs) Would kind of make sense that, like, this wasn't the height and the focus of everyone in the area, like, maybe at first, but I can imagine that it dwindled down pretty quickly.
1: Which is true, and that's usually how all big media stories end up into nothing, like, overnight because something else crazy happens, and then correct people are obsessed with the next story. Or they could be like me, that just obsesses over every single current event that's taking place and can't sleep at night.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but then you don't get answers to everything. So.
1: No. No answers. There's no fucking answers.
0: Okay, and so how I really got interested in and and interested in this flight and uh, looked at this information is I was trying to find. Um, like unsolved mysteries or sorts you know okay. in the Midwest and Michigan I thought it would be interesting and I came across this and I do remember loosely hearing this case on a podcast but they only briefly mention it in like a few sentences when they were talking about a potential Lake Michigan Triangle uh, yes. not sure, I was going to say not sure if you've ever heard of this, but there is a theory just like the Bermuda Triangle that there was is one in Lake Michigan. Just like I won't go into like, oh, the span of how big it is and all this stuff. Uh, but I do want to say that there have been eight plane crashes in total in Lake Michigan that have been recorded. Three of them were within a close area, including flight 2501. None of those three flights have ever been found, and of the total eight, only one airplane crash has ever been located. So, the remnants of Flight 2501 is not the only one, potentially, at the bottom of Lake
1: Michigan. Which is crazy. Yeah, And that makes me think, too, so, like, obviously... I think that you know the plane could definitely be there. But how deep does Lake Michigan go in like some areas? Like is there uncharted areas? Probably. In their deepest
0: area, it's estimated that it's nine hundred and twenty two feet deep. So that's, that's it's this deep. it's, it's the deep. second deepest great lake.
1: Lake Superior is far deeper. <laughs> so there's there's a very high chance that it's in uncharted or that these planes in general are in uncharted areas. There's also, I guess, the chances of them just like it blowing up midair or something, too, and just disappearing altogether. I mean, yes. I like the uncharted territory idea more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, potentially. So, I mean, Lake Michigan is, like, obviously it's deep, but it's not, like, awfully deep. I did see a piece of information which makes me think that this could be potentially why nothing has been found. Uh, In certain areas during the search, when divers were down looking, you know, in that five-day search, at one point in time, they sunk down into, like, two feet of, like... I don't remember what it's called. Like the sinkage. No, but like the the mud and muck at the bottom of the lake. When they got to the bottom, they sunk down within two feet. And they had a one foot visibility because it was so unclear. But if they're doing sonar and technology, they should be able to do it. But would that tell them if it's underneath the sinkage or that muck? I don't know. Because that could have absorbed the plane. 100%. Yeah. Maybe not yeah. immediately, but it definitely could have reduced their visibility and covered and settled very quickly.
1: Yeah. And also, like, to be looking at, like, to be doing this in the, the, the 50s, like, when they were doing it. Correct. The the resources that they have, like, yeah, it's sonar and the drudging and all these things. Like, it's a lot different than what we have today where, like, you could do a sonar and, like, probably actually see a decent amount through that, that guck. Yeah, but, like, but
0: now, when they're doing all that stuff, is it potentially, far. yeah, is it potentially, like, way deep down in there, at the very bottom, absorbed, sick, like... That's I, a
1: good point.
0: I don't think we'll ever find
1: it. Or it could have Unless, even been, like, broken. Unless, unfortunately, something
0: happens, yeah. Unless something happened, like, Lake Michigan dried out, but if that's the case, humanity will not survive.
1: Like Lake Mead. Well, yes, but... There will be barrels.
0: (laughs) The Great Lakes are the greatest source of fresh water in the entire world. Fun fact. (laughs) I'm in the Great Lakes state. Okay, I got all Great Lakes specs. So, if that ever happened, that would be, like, a huge issue because Lake Michigan is the second largest by volume because it's the second deepest and it's so massive. So, I mean... Who knows what's in there, but at least seven plane crashes.
1: That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Pretty interesting.
0: I was light on the facts, but heavy on the, the conversation and the thinking piece.
1: That's true. That is true. <laughs> Anything else to add that I missed? <laughs> uh, so I do, um, you know, I don't necessarily believe this theory, but I think it's important to mention That Flight 2501 is listed on several UFO sites as a strange anomaly. Dang! I'm glad you had that because I did not have that. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't think as much as I want to believe that aliens are always the reasoning for 95% of things that happen in day-to-day life. I guess I I don't know if I believe that one. With the bodies like coming ash, like the pieces of the bodies coming ashore. I don't know. It would make sense for like the flash of light, but I think there's a number of other factors that don't make sense in my head for that one. But it is listed as a strange anom- anomaly, and a- aliens are not considered to be ruled out. Interesting.
0: Here I thought I that appreciate
1: was, that, that was fact. How, that, here I thought in my head, this is how you came to come about this case i'm like we're gonna talk about aliens and we're gonna fight why why did you think we were gonna fight i just thought i was gonna have to like lay down the devil's advocate law a couple of times if we were gonna oh. talk about it
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know how it goes i mean we can talk about an alien soon <laughs> we should we <laughs> definitely should i'll find uh, one of the generic aliens to sighting stories yeah, uh, I've, I've heard a million times, and then we'll go from there.
1: We have to go raid right Area 51 So
0: <laughs> That's, like, uh, in case anyone ever has a conversation with Sydney about aliens, this is, like, <laughs> her top goal. <laughs> I think when you I... made Area 51 references, like, at least every, like, three hours in Vegas, and you were like... <laughs> Oh, remember that Area 51 raid? Good times. <laughs>
1: Cause it, cause it literally, it lives rent-free in my head. Like, it literally just lives rent-free. Like, those people <laughs> wearing their literal hats made of foil, just running <laughs> oh around, God. like, literal tinfoil hats, running oh. around, yelling at these big men that are, like, have all these crazy weapons and are, like, ready to just... <laughs> they were just... probably like, what the hell? literally crack them in half it just it lives rent free in my head and like if i'm having a bad day that's like something that i look up it's like (laughs) a rating area 51 because it just makes me laugh so fucking hard every single time i'm not even lying to you and being so close in vegas it just it it came up more often than it needed to (laughs) (laughs) oh good lord well, folks, that's the story
0: of Disappearance Flight 2501 before Cindy and I go on any more tangents
1: because <laughs> we've, we're full of a lot of them today. Yeah, this could honestly just be a three-hour episode of tangents at this point. And just... we talked for 20 minutes before we even hit record. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it even better. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and we were still full of tangents. And we haven't talked about anything that we were talking about beforehand, so we clearly had a lot to discuss
1: today. (laughs) Lots of discussion.
0: Well, on a side note, (laughs) you got some jokes and facts for me or what? (laughs) Uh, Of course. What do you want? Sweet. Let's for sure do a fact first I was thinking about switching it up and then I said oh no (laughs) we like it like this in
1: 1991 bottled salsa sales overtook ketchup sales wow
0: that's very interesting
1: and it also seemed like it wasn't necessarily just like squirt bottle salsa it seemed like it was like can't like you don't you just have like the twist off salsa. It just seemed like it was, like, salsa in general. It was just, like, outdoing ketchup.
0: Interesting. I can see that. I think I buy... I don't know. Yeah, I go through
1: salsa faster than
0: I go through ketchup.
1: I, I agree with that. I think that we've probably get, like... Well, ketchup lasts a long time, too, but, like, you get, like, one bottle of ketchup and it lasts you, like, a year. Eight months.
0: Yeah. And I, I usually buy two at a time, to be honest. So, like, I put one in the pantry, too.
1: hmm So, uh, that way. And I usually do the same stocked. with salsa. You know, you get the two salsa at a time, but you're done with them in, like, two weeks. Yeah, and I also, we also get, like,
0: a million different taco sauces. And then. Yup. I don't, I guess I don't know if this is, like, a thing other places. Do you have garden fresh salsa in your grocery store? Mm-hmm. Do you? I think so. I because, know. Yeah. So it's like the fresh cold salsa. So like that's like yeah. a local factory. Like I remember oh, really? when they opened because like I knew a bunch of people that worked there. It's like a big deal.
1: <laughs> I think we just have it at um, Pick and Save though. That would which make is, sense. Which is a Kroger. Okay, yeah, because I get it for from Kroger. Yeah, I don't think you can buy it, like, at, like, Woodman's or, like, we have other grocery stores, too, but I think it's only at the Pick and Save, but I definitely know what you're talking about. I can picture the label. Okay, so that's my
0: favorite, like, go-to choice is, like, that fresh one, and so mm-hmm. I usually buy it, like, every other grocery, like, I go shopping every weekend, uh, so I get, like, every other week I'll buy a thing of salsa and it's only because I I feel bad going through it every like because I'll go through it in a week but then I'll feel bad buying like four dollars worth of salsa every week grocery shopping just to like snack on but it's good it's so good so I can see that interesting 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 okay hit me
1: with a joke what does an angel put in his salsa for extra spice? What? Halo pinos.
0: I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you started saying it, I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. That was clever. Very witty. Witty. <laughs> I'm punny punny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right folks,
0: before Sydney and I
1: really lose it apparently. <laughs> and it's not I just want to mention too it's not like really early in the morning or like really late at night like it's like 7:30 mine time, 8:30 pains time like I don't know. It's like a week it's like, like a weeknight too. It's not even like a weekend. No, usually it's like when we do it really early or really late <laughs> that it's just like all sorts of wonky.
0: Yeah, I don't know what's going on here.
1: <laughs> I had a good day.
0: <laughs> Same. I was very productive today, so I feel I feel good.
1: Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> I don't have a lot of those.
0: Same. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's gotta be what it is.
0: Oh uh, well, you can find us on Facebook, Tacos and Tequila Podcasts.
1: On Instagram, it's just Tacos and Tequila. Our
0: website is tacosandtequillapodcast.com, links to all our episodes via Spotify, as well as all of our sources and summaries of all the episodes we've done. It's like a nice little guide if you want to look.
1: It's very fancy on there. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, make sure that you leave a rating and or a review. It helps us get noticed. It's really cool to see what you guys like. And overall it just makes us feel really great about ourselves. Very much agreed there. <laughs> <laughs> uh and I think that's it. Am I yeah. there anything else? No, I think that's I think that covers all the bases and some.
0: All right, folks. Well, I guess we will talk to you next week then. Bye! Bye!
1: <laughs>